Hi, everybody. Welcome to the May 29th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's get started with a quick take on Colorado restaurants reporting under the newest state guidelines, which include redistricting or restricting establishments to 50% capacity. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, finally, some restaurants at least able to get patrons to sit down and uh, enjoy a meal, a little bit different situation. But what did you think of the finally the, the new opening of restaurants in Colorado? Well, Han uh, both Mayor Hancock and Jared Polis said on Monday, Memorial Day, that they could reopen the restaurants on May 27th. In the interest of full investigative reporting, I managed to go to two, La Fiesta, which is a classic place in Five Points for lunch, and Rioja in Larimer Square for dinner. And what was great about these small businesses is they were observing all the rules. They were being so helpful, kind, very excited to people coming back in the business. And to be in Larimer Square where there were uh, tables all over the sidewalk where people were just excited to get out, support people, support businesses, and hope things got back to some kind of normal or at least some kind of celebration of community. They were really special nights. And I would say anyone who feels comfortable going to a restaurant should get out to one this weekend. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, uh, we're at least getting 50% capacity for restaurants, but it's been a long slog for them to get here. Uh, some restaurants choosing not even to open at 50% capacity because they can't make it at that point. Uh, what did you think of at least the reopening that we saw this week? Well, lots of restaurants have already been destroyed and are never coming back. And as you say, with the economics of how restaurants work, there are lots of the current temporary survivors who aren't going to be able to make it with only half capacity. And of those who, who do hang on, they're going to have to raise prices uh, to make up for lost volume. I think the plans to open streets so that you can have more outdoor patio dining uh, for restaurants is, is a good idea. It's absolutely going to cause an increase in traffic jams, but it may be just about the last uh, possibility of, of saving a lot of these small businesses. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It's wonderful to have you back, Joey. Uh, when you saw the restaurants opening up, uh, finally, even though it's 50% capacity, it feels like a step in the right direction, but uh, it's been an odd journey so far. What did you make of the headlines? Uh, well, it's only a small step back toward norm normality. You know, if 50% is normal. People wearing masks is normal. People wearing gloves is normal. That's not normal. You know, it feels like we're eating lunch in a science lab, and maybe we always were and just didn't know it. But, you know, that's the world we live in. I think these restaurants are going to be lucky to get 50%. I know I'm going to continue to eat at Shea Joey for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I imagine some pretty good meals at Shea Joey. Right, uh, rounding up the panel, Penfield Tate. Penfield, it's wonderful to have you back. Uh, former state lawmaker and an attorney with Tate Law. Uh, Penn, with uh, restaurants at 50% capacity, is this a step in the right direction or too little too late? You know, it, it's too little too late for some of them who, who are gone and won't be back. It is a step in the right direction. Um, it'll be interesting to see how restaurateurs respond because a number of them have said they're not going to open right away. Um, they will operate on their timetable and, and they're going to be much more cautious. The other thing that's going to be interesting is I, a, a, as frantic as people are to get out and about, I don't think we're going to see a run on restaurants right away. I think people are going to be very slow to re-engage um, and particularly visiting restaurants. So the restaurants are going to have to be patient with all of us as we get comfortable to this new environment. 
Well, let's get to it. Last night, protesters gathered across the nation, including outside the Colorado Capitol, in response to the police killing of George Floyd, a black man in Minneapolis. In Denver, the protests were escalated by unidentified gunshots, police discharging, discharging non-lethal weapons, protesters destroying two cars, and a woman who attempted to run over a protester. Uh, Patty, the Westward offices are right in the thick of where the protests are taking place. Uh, there's news that more are to come on Friday night, maybe it's the weekend. Uh, clearly, there is a uh, justified reason for protests, but to see it in Denver uh, certainly shocked a lot of people. What did you think? Well, I wasn't surprised. I mean, if you look over some of the biggest issues over the past decades with police violence, the protests will always spread beyond the city where it happened. It's, impo it's almost impossible to imagine anything as egregious as the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And of course, the protests here were nothing compared to what we're seeing in Minneapolis, where you have CNN reporters arrested, you have a pr police pr precinct burned down. But even so, the scenes last night were dismaying in this town, and not just because our new office at 13th and Lincoln is right in the heart of it. What, what's a concern is just that you could see how tensions are boiling over in every city. People have spent months being locked up, and they're now dealing with years of injustices. Just the day before, as I was driving to that restaurant, La Fiesta, in Five Points, I came across a sweep at, on Stout at 22nd, where five law enforcement people were trying to move a man from the center of the road. He was clearly having issues and they were so kind and so patient with him and so didn't care that they blocked traffic for 15 minutes that I was tremendously impressed with law enforcement and what they were doing then. So to see last night's actions where protesters misbehaved, maybe some police officers misbehaved. Did we really need tear gas? Did we need rubber bullets? I'm not sure, but let's hope we have civil conversations tonight and civil disobedience. David, as you look at the situation, I mean, it did seem very different in Denver than you saw in other cities, especially in Minneapolis. Um, how did it compare to you? What were uh, your takeaways? Well, the protesters sure show something appropriate to protest, but I'd actually say the, the problem is, is even broader than, than some of them uh, realize. You know, Mr. Floyd wasn't the first victim of the Minneapolis Police Department. In 2017, Minneapolis officer Mohammed Noor shot and killed a 40-year-old female Australian who was trying to report a crime. And, and that officer was convicted of murder in 2019. So the mayor of Minneapolis after that crime, which was black on white, got rid of the police chief and the people voted out the mayor, yet the same problems continue in, in the city. Uh, happily, unlike in some other cities, the Denver protesters were almost almost all genuine protesters, and we didn't have criminal mobs uh, just using this as a pretext for arson and, and looting sprees. Um, somebody in Denver fired gunshots, and I hope that criminal is, is found and, and convicted. And there were also a, a few people who smashed the automobile of Senate President Leroy Garcia, which just shows that anyone can be victimized by random acts of hate. Joey, as you looked at the response yesterday, I mean, I think it, it certainly was a fluid situation from the initial part of the protest in late afternoon to gunshots being heard. The, the crowd grew once the sun went down. Uh, what did you make of the reaction from uh, law enforcement in Denver? Well, you know, Colorado and Denver, that is, has a, uh, you know, a long problem, a long history of, of racial and, and police 
misconduct, racial violence and police misconduct. But, you know, I hate everything about this situation. You know, I hate the way that George Floyd died. I hate that that Minneapolis is the focus of this, a city I dearly love. And, and you know, I hate that it spilled into Denver. But, I, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation about race and justice. You know, I hope that it's not just another brick in the wall. I hope that we're making progress. But, you know, when we have the president talking about turning, you know, when the looting stops, the shooting starts, you know, when we're talking about turning theft into a death penalty offense, that doesn't help. I can't breathe. And it's time that we as a nation took a deep breath and charted a positive course forward. We haven't done that to date. I hope we do it now. And if we do, then George Floyd died a hero. Penn, I've often uh, described myself as one of the optimists around this table proudly, but uh, this is an issue that I, I don't have any optimism left for. Um, I'd love to think that this is going to trigger a national conversation of people who are, are waking up to something. But George Floyd is sadly on a very long list in 2020 of uh, uh, African-American men who uh, have uh, been subjected to this kind of violence. And it's not as if we have this long list of uh, the other side of uh, justice being um, uh, being had. And I wish I could have some optimism about this, but as you look at the situation in Minneapolis and the reactions in Colorado, um, what what strikes you? Well, you know, I think it's good to be optimistic, Dominic, and we've got to have hope because if we don't have hope, I, I don't know where we'll be. But what's clear is that the protest, the civil disobedience will continue until we get real justice and we get change. Um, what happened with George Floyd should have never happened. You know, in most circumstances, when the police report to a scene, if they have probable cause to believe a crime's been committed and that the suspect committed it, they take them to jail. We know George Floyd was killed, but the people who killed him are still walking around. They're unemployed. They've been fired, but they're still walking around. That's not just. We've seen other instances with Marvin Booker and others where people have been killed by law enforcement here in Denver, and there hasn't been a penalty imposed with respect to those officers. They've been suspended, but no one's been incarcerated. No one's been tried or convicted over those deaths. We're going to continue to have this problem as a society, as a city, as a state, and as a country until definitive action is taken that makes clear that, that just because you wear a badge doesn't immunize you from killing someone. The Colorado State Legislature reconvened this week after its COVID hiatus. The Democratic leadership in the House and Senate stated that they will kill any bills that aren't related directly to the pandemic, especially that come any that come with a price tag. One bill that will be up for consideration is a resolution to place the repeal of the Gallagher Amendment on the November ballot. Uh, David, what did you think about the announcement from Democratic leadership in the state and the House, uh, excuse me, the Senate and the House saying that they only want to concentrate on COVID-related bills and that Gallagher, at least a, a ballot measure, is up for uh, possibility? What do you think? Well, the Gallagher Amendment was passed overwhelmingly by the people in 1982. It's named for its lead sponsor, Dennis Gallagher, the great state legislator, and who after that was Denver City Auditor. And Dennis Gallagher is the opposite of an anti-tax, small government guy. What his amendment says is that for real estate tax assessments statewide, residential property should be 45%, and all other property, including business property, should be 55%. The Gallagher Amendment protects the public from exorbitant residential real estate taxes like they have in New Jersey. 
but it does drive up business taxes and it, it can reduce government real estate revenue, particularly in, in rural counties where there's not much business property. So the people who want to repeal Gallagher say the repeal won't increase taxes and they say the repeal will provide necessary additional money to rural governments. Well, if the government collects more money than it would otherwise from homeowners, it does kind of seem like a tax increase, whatever you call it. Even under the Gallagher Amendment, people in rural counties can always vote to raise their property taxes. So repealing Gallagher is really an indirect way to have more taxes, but without local taxpayers getting to decide whether and for what purposes the tax revenue from them should be higher. Joey, you're one of our uh, people on the scene when it comes to politics, uh, working as a deputy managing editor of Colorado Politics. What do you think about the legislature coming together? They, I think they have about three weeks or so to get some business done, so clearly they're going to need to be efficient. Uh, what did you think of the announcement from leadership? Well, you know, a crisis is always a great opportunity to uh, pass long-term goals, and that's, that's partly what this is. And, you know, Dave's right. This passed in 1982. You know what else? happened in 1982, the Thriller album dropped. And Thriller is what local governments and schools have had because of the Gallagher Amendment ever since. You know, about half the money goes, you know, none of this is state money. About half the money goes to local schools and the rest goes to city and county governments, special districts, fire departments, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, those are the ones that struggle because, you know, this is a statewide average of real estate. And as you know, the real estate prices in Denver are a lot higher than they are in the rest of the state. And that really puts a bind on governments where they don't have the kind of real estate prices to tax the way that we do. Colorado hasn't had a statewide property tax since 1964. Patty wasn't even born in 1964. So, you know, I look for this to be a, um, you know, yeah, but at the same time, you know, the Gallagher Amendment is one of three load-bearing pillars of, of how we keep the size of government reflective of the economy. So when we go to have this fight, it won't be an easy fight for progressives. So, you know, we'll see what happens next. But, uh, you know, this this is not a done deal by any stretch just because the legislature put something on the ballot that they've wanted on the ballot for a long time. Penn, I'm looking very forward to your perspective here. As a former state lawmaker, you have been in the thick of this, both how a schedule works and everything with Gallagher Amendment and everything in between. What do you think? You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happened because there was an effort years ago to repeal the Gallagher Amendment. Former legislator Norma Anderson was behind it, and the business community, ironically, um, did not step up and help raise money for the fight. And the bottom line is this. What's happened in Colorado over the years is between Gallagher, um, the Education Amendment, and Tabor, we put so many things formulaically on autopilot that the legislature, the, the people we elect to, to pass a budget and help run state government doesn't have the flexibility to um, move with the times. And, and what happens is you're responding to a formulaic set of, um, of requirements rather than doing what the community needs. Let's be clear, if you repeal Gallagher, residential property taxes are going to go up because the whole purpose behind Gallagher was to keep residential property taxes artificially low. That will mean more revenue for school districts and local governments, but it's gonna be paid by the taxpayers who live in those districts and in those local governments. This is a conversation we need to have as a state, whether we trust those elected to office to be responsible in managing the budgets. 
One other thing I would note when I served, we did an analysis um, that, that was done about the time of Gallagher, and it was not uncommon for the state legislature to raise and lower income tax rates and other sales rates based on what was happening with the economy. So we do have the ability to respond to what's happening at any given time. We don't necessarily need these mandatory formulas to drive an artificial result, especially when we have something like a pandemic that requires special legislation and funding to address the public need. Patty, I think you know, anytime it comes to residential uh, taxes, property taxes, I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of people in the Denver metro area that are going to be excited to do anything that may possibly raise them. They're already pretty strong just because of the value of uh, property going up. Uh, if this gets the ballot, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it will depend a lot on who's going to be able to pay any taxes come November. We've had a long time to deal with the issues of 23, which Penn cited, the Gallagher Amendment, and Tabor that all collided that really put really put restrictions on how you can divide up the state's money. But Gallagher has been a problem, not just for big businesses, but the small businesses that David was talking about, the restaurants that are going out of business, art galleries. The property taxes have gone up so much in this city before the pandemic for these small businesses that you saw galleries and you saw restaurants closing last summer specifically because they couldn't afford to pay their property taxes. So you want to figure out a fix that will not will support those small businesses, but will also not put the entire burden on homeowners. And that's a tricky fix. This week, state health officials released the latest COVID-19 modeling data, as well as recommendations for residents. According to officials, in order for hospitals to not be overwhelmed with cases, all Coloradans need to limit their social interactions to about half of what they were before the pandemic. Residents who are at highest risk of symptoms that require hospitalization, particularly those over the age of 60, will need to keep social interactions to under a third of what they were before the pandemic. The model assumes widespread adherence to wearing masks. Joey, we go to you to this one. I, uh, we want to hear from state health officials to give us some guidance, but I don't know how well uh, independent Coloradans are going to adhere to this advice. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they've already shown they're not going to because it's gotten too politicized. I thought we had, it was a bridge too far when we politicized a chicken sandwich, but now we've politicized public health. And assuming that they're going to get half the people to wear a mask, I think is assuming a lot. Because, you know, science, you know, it's the red MAGA hat of the left. So, you know, the more we politicize things, the more we pollute them. You know, face it, life's never going to be the same, at least not in my short lifetime. And, um, you know, I don't think we'll ever think about germs the same way. I know one thing, come this Halloween, I won't be bobbing for apples. <laughs> this is why I love having Joey Bunch this program so much, Joey. It's just fantastic to me. Chicken sandwiches and bobbing for apples. <laughs> uh, uh, Penn, uh, looking at these uh, new uh, advice from health officials, um, are Coloradans going to take this seriously? I mean, with the, it, we, we, we are an independent cuss as it comes to a personality, but um, it seems that we did the job over these last couple of months. Can we continue to do that for our fellow people in our community? You know, uh, we have the ability. The question is whether we have the will and 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 if we get lazy, uh, you know, it's been clear. Well, we've got a couple of problems. First, at the federal level, we have a president who's told people don't believe science, even though the, his own scientists are saying 
you know, politely, don't listen to the president. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We know how to address this. If you look around, limiting social interactions, wearing masks, and not going out, working from home has not only improved air quality, it's resulted in decreased um, positive cases of the coronavirus. So we know it works. The question is whether we'll maintain the d discipline as a society and not be selfish about wanting to go out in the sun and do this, that, or the other thing, or at least if you do those things, do them in a way that's responsible from a health perspective. We know what works. We just have to have the discipline to exercise it. And I know that people are saying, I don't want government to tell me to do one thing or another, but the reality is, I, I think it's guidance. And my hope is that we'll look out not only for ourselves, but for one another and behave in a responsible fashion for a continued period of time so that we can finally put this virus behind us. Because if we keep having surges, this is gonna be a pattern I don't think we'll break out of for years. And that's just not healthy for this country or for the world. Penny, what's mystified me is, uh, politics aside, if it, it makes pretty common sense that if, if I wear a mask and another person wears a mask and if we're both in our 40s and we don't think that we're at risk, well, we still need to do that because at some point I want to interact with people like my parents, like my aunts, my uncles who are over 60 so that they're not at greater risk because I went to Walmart with a bunch of yahoos who wouldn't put on a mask. So, uh, but, but maybe I'm crazy about this. You're looking at this, you're out in the world. What do you think? Well, most of the places I've gone, you see people wearing masks, especially now in Denver. If you go into a business, you have to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask if you are outside and you are far away from other people. But really, what does it hurt to wear a mask? It seems a small price to pay to kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy or at least help the businesses trying to get back on their feet. But you see those pictures like Boulder Creek where there's no social distancing, no masks, you know, how hard is it to behave yourself just for a while so we can all enjoy nice things? And by nice things, I really mean the great outdoors. Just give, wear a mask when you're near a person, make way on the trail for them. Let's all be polite and let's be civil. I talked about it last week. The amount of incivility out there is really disheartening. David, I'll continue to give you great credit. You talked about the effectiveness of masks months ago. Uh, when before any of this really started, uh, and I completely agree with your point. Now that we get into the thick of this, living with this pandemic, masks uh, feel like a good idea. Are you surprised they become politicized? Um, well, part of the problem is the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment doesn't have a very strong track record on CCP virus advice. On February 27th, they told the Denver Post that masks should be used only by healthcare workers and not by average citizens. And they also said the main form of transmission of the virus was from touching infected services. And we now know that nothing in that was accurate. And so now they're saying masks are essential for the general public. And if they hadn't denigrated masks back in February, we'd all be a lot better off and the problem would not have been nearly as severe uh, as it became. Uh, some good news is the new Colorado data uh, show that for people who do get get symptoms uh, from the CCP virus, the chance of ending up in the intensive care unit are under 1% for people under 30, about 2% for people who are 30 to 59, and 3.5% for people who are 60 or older. But what these figures don't hide, really, is that the new model from the Department of Health leaves out something even much more important, 
in every age group, the risks are much, much higher for people who are obese, diabetic, have high blood pressure, immune disorders, and other risk factors. And these are the people who should be especially encouraged to limit their exposure. Lumping high-risk people with everybody else is misleading, it reduces credibility, and thwarts people's abilities to make decisions on the facts. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I'm going to bring up a frequent disgrace on this show, but just say good luck to RTD. Maybe the toughest job imaginable. No money has to provide transport for people in a time when no one wants to go on public transport. Not exactly a GM job. A lot of applicants I think they're going to get. Uh, David, your disgrace of the week. Well, I'm not sure if it's a disgrace, but maybe it's a sign of the apocalypse. In, in Germany, Burger King is giving people six-foot Burger King paper crown hats uh, so they can uh, be encouraged to maintain social distance. That probably does fall into the sign of the apocalypse, David. I would agree with you on that one. Joey. Al, Donald Trump and his Twitter war. I mean, come on, man. This is the week that we went over 100,000 deaths. George Floyd, we've got major American cities either burning or facing violence. And he's fighting with Twitter. And I think I agree with Rush Limbaugh for once. You know, Trump builds these fires to watch the media dance around him. And apparently it works because I'm talking about it right now. <laughs> ben. I think for me, it'd be a couple of things. Um, the, the four police officers, obviously, who killed um, George um, Floyd. But, but also to see the president of the United States issue an executive order trying to chill a private company that allows people to voice their opinions, that there's something bizarrely wrong with America right now. And we'll see how this works out through this election cycle, but it's just frightening that he would even think that that's an appropriate thing for a president to do. Let's get to say something nice about somebody rather quickly, Patty. Tom Morris, who's a great Denver citizen who noticed this blank spot on my wall and also, the fact that his father, back in the 60s, painted the house I live in. As soon as I can figure out how to put that painting on the wall without a nail, Tom, it will be displayed forever. David. 21 states that eased restrictions on May 4th or sooner, including Colorado. And the new data show that in all these 21 states, including Colorado, there's been no major increase in hospitalizations, in deaths, or the percent of people testing positive. Joey. The Polis administration and Denver Mayor Michael Hancock for ramping up testing this week. Better late than never. Penn. Um, I have to say kudos to the mayor of Minneapolis. It, it, it took a lot of courage um, to go against what's traditionally a strong union with your police um, union and firing these four um, officers involved in the murder of George Floyd. And I want to say something nice by, about longtime volunteer Tom Colbert. Uh, and got some injuries and a bike wreck. Tom, we are all thinking about you and looking very forward to catching up with you on your uh, hopefully speedy recovery. And that is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.